I think uh, criminal justice is the area that uh, I, I can say for sure. You can't walk away. Um, you know, there's people in cages. Uh, there's children whose parent is unnecessarily not in the home and they're growing up, uh, you know, watching the remaining parent struggle to provide food, to provide, um, you know, housing. Hello, welcome back to I Want Her Job, the podcast. Today we're speaking with Jessica Jackson Sloan, who is the youngest ever elected official in Mill Valley, California. Mill Valley is a charming and very special city located just 14 miles north of San Francisco. As vice mayor of Mill Valley, Jessica works on local issues, and she also has a second job as national director at Cut50, a truly bipartisan nonprofit that is working to reduce America's incarceration population by 50% over the next 10 years. So in this call, we hear about how Jessica's very personal family story led her to law school, to a job representing death row inmates in California, and to her current roles. You don't want to miss this conversation. Let's get started. Thank you so much for joining us. So can you tell us, well, you have two jobs. Can you tell us first about um, your job as vice mayor of Mill Valley? Yeah, so I decided to run for office uh, about almost three years ago now, actually. And um, I'd grown up in Mill Valley, and a council seat uh, was coming available. I'd been really, really interested in local politics because I'd been working on national issues around mass incarceration, state issues with ending the death penalty, um, and I was just interested to see how the local level worked because uh, it feels like sometimes when you're working on bigger issues on a national or state scale, things take a really long time to get done. And on the local level, uh, you know, it's an immediate return on, on your investment of energy. You're actually able to get things done that not only directly impact your community, um, but that you can see as, as you're going about your daily life. So um, I was really excited to run and even more excited that I won. Um, and I've really enjoyed my time so far on Mill Valley City Council. Okay. Wow. So I'd love to hear um, when you mentioned how getting things done, like a couple examples of, of types of things that you can get done. And then what was it like to run? Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll start with the second question first. Uh, running for office is a very different experience than working on a campaign. And at the time that I decided to run, I had worked on campaigns, of course, um, but I'd never actually been the candidate myself. So I found it a lot harder to fundraise, uh, not because other people don't believe in you, but because you have to sell yourself. Um, you know, if it's a issue that you're passionate about and you've already been sold on, it's it's kind of easier to sell than selling yourself and, and having to kind of brag on yourself and ask people, close friends, family for money. Uh, so that, that was interesting. I was also the only female in the race and I'm uh, the youngest elected official ever here in the county of Marin. Uh, so I had a couple of things that were you know, stacked against me, but we ran a really solid grassroots campaign. I spent the first few months really getting out there, listening to people, um, thinking about, you know, what problems were affecting our community and uh, trying to come up with some solutions for how I would address them. 
I also spent a lot of time uh, talking to former council members, uh, many of whom endorsed me, and learning about their experience and, and what had been possible for them. Uh, so it was it was a great experience. Um, definitely made me fall in fall in love with Mill Valley all over again. Uh, just spending so much time in the community and getting to know so many of my neighbors. Absolutely. And and so how about on the job? You mentioned being able to get things done. Can you give us some examples? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's really great um, because you know you have an idea, and we've got this time at the end of each of our council meetings and. Um, you know, we're pretty tired by the time it gets around to there, but I keep a list with me uh, throughout the week and I, I jot down notes and um, it's called council request for ideas and, and uh, thoughts. So during that time, we actually talk about, you know, what your ideas are and, and some very interesting things tend to pop up. Um, so for example, last year, uh, there was another council member and I who are very interested in uh, prohibiting smoking in a multifamily housing setting. So when I was in law school, uh, my first year of law school, which is unfortunately the hardest year of law school, uh, my oldest daughter, Hannah, and I lived in an apartment. And unfortunately, our neighbor fell asleep with a cigarette and <gasps> burned down not only her own apartment, but part of ours. Wow. Um, we were very lucky because uh, my daughter and I were actually at my mom's house that night because when we came back the next day and I looked at the the wreckage, um, her entire bedroom had been burnt and her her bed was against the wall and that had actually been burnt. So had we been home, she would have been in bed and um, you know this fire may have injured her or, or worse. So... Uh, to me, that coupled with the fact that it's actually a risk, a health risk with smoke um, being in such prox close proximity to um, other dwellings where, you know, people may have asthma, people may have shared central air, um, et cetera. Uh, you know, I, I was very passionate about banning smoking in multifamily housing. And it took a couple of months. Um, initially, it was just uh, Councilmember Lyons and I, who were really in favor for it, and uh, we were able to convince the other council members that this was the right thing to do. Uh, we had a couple of public workshops, um, two hearings, and suddenly our ordinance was passed, and now you can't smoke in in a multifamily housing unit. So, congratulations! That is amazing. I can see why that would be so exciting to know that you're able to make such change. Um, can you walk us through a day in your life and uh, like what it's like to be a vice mayor? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I am lucky because uh, our meetings are only, our official city council meetings are only once every other week. So it's Monday night, first and third Monday. Um, but of course, you're called on throughout the week, um, you know, whether it's to attend other meetings, uh, the uh, the JPAs, which are our kind of regional boards, we each sit on some of them to represent the city. So I have a couple of those meetings each week. Um, and I'm also very involved in the Democratic Party here in Mill Valley and Marin. Um, so that all impacts it. And then, of course, I've got my job with Cut 50. So if you want a day in the life, it's uh, waking up at 530 with my 16 month old and um, hanging out with her for about an hour till the rest of the family wakes up. And then, um, you know, the crazy onslaught of getting two kids ready to get out the door to school and daycare. 
And then uh, it's cut 50 time for most of the day, but I'm lucky because uh, it's pretty flexible. If I need to attend a meeting uh, here in the city of Mill Valley, I'm able to uh, go do so. If I have a meeting after work, um, you know, I can just jot right over there because I am here. I work from home three days out of the week, which is a huge help. Um, and then, of course, you know, kids come home from school and daycare and you've got dinner craziness. And I tend to carve out about an hour and a half to two hours every evening uh, to deal with emails. Um, I do a lot of my writing at night. I find that I write the best at night. So um, I'm able to log on and, and kind of get some of the substantive work done then. So it's quite a bit, but, uh, you know, we enjoy it. And the kids are learning a lot seeing their mom uh, working so hard. Absolutely. So let's get into Cut 50. Can you tell us all about um, the organization and what you do there? Yes, definitely. Um, so Cut 50 is a national bipartisan initiative to end mass incarceration. Uh, we are striving to cut the prison population in half in the next 10 years. And when I say we're bipartisan, um, you know, it's not just a, a catchphrase. We actually work with uh, everybody from the ACLU to the Koch brothers. Van Jones is our, our uh, fearless leader. We also work with Newt Gingrich. Um, you know, we've, we've uh, dealt with congressional offices of uh, Paul Ryan's office, Tom Cotton's office, um, all the way over to the other side of the aisle with Cory Booker um, or uh, Bobby Scott. So it's really been a phenomenal effort to not only raise the issue in media and um, let people know that mass incarceration has become this huge issue and resource suck in our uh, in our society, but also let them know that there are solutions out there that would keep our communities safer. Yeah, you know, for people interested in reading about this issue, I highly recommend the book Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. It took my breath away over and over again with heartbreak and the deepest respect, admiration for the work Brian Stevenson is doing. And can you talk to us about some stats that would inform people who are not that familiar with the size and impact of the issue? Yeah, uh, just on a very high level, you know, we, the United States, have 5% of the world's population, yet we have 25% of the world's incarcerated population. So we're incarcerating at a rate much higher than any other country. Uh, the justice system currently costs uh, taxpayers $80 billion a year. Whew. And with that $80 billion a year, you'd think that maybe we were taking uh, individuals and turning out Harvard grads or something. But actually, in fact, um, majority of, of people who uh, get out of the prison system end up back in within five years with our recidivism rates around 70 to 80 percent. That's yeah, it's it's so crazy. And when, what kind of work does Cut Fifty focus on to to solve some of these issues or make them better? So Cut Fifty is really focused right now on federal uh, sentencing reform. We've been working for the last eighteen months, and that again goes to speak about what I was saying earlier with uh, how slow the process can be on the federal level. Um, but we've been working for the last 18 months calling on Congress uh, to pass comprehensive justice reform. And to be clear, um, 
there's 2.2 million people incarcerated in the United States right now. Of those 2.2 million, only about 200,000 of them are in the federal system. But we decided to start with the federal system to send a strong message to the states and and to governors uh, that now is the time to start enacting criminal justice reform because not only will it help their state economically, but it's also going to make their communities safer and it's going to treat all their citizens with uh, respect. And how is it going, like progress-wise, and um, also what uh, is there anything that you can recommend just people who are interested in what they can do um, on an individual level? Yeah, I would I would encourage people to go visit our website, um, cut50.org, and also to sign our petition for justice reform now. Uh, the petition has over a million supporters on change.org. Um, we've also had over a hundred and. 10 celebrities uh, who have signed on to endorse it. Alicia Keys is actually our uh, spokesperson. So we've been able to do some really cool things with her um, around the concept of keeping families together and uh, communities safer while ending mass incarceration. Um, You know, the best thing to do is to get involved in, in your community and it starts local. Uh, It starts with your DA races. It starts with your judges races. It starts looking at the practices employed by the sheriff's office, by the police, um, and really thinking, you know, I know a lot of friends, especially now uh, in a presidential election year, who focus on kind of the sexier uh, presidential race or the bigger races in their state and, and really neglect to do the research on the local races. Um, but it's just so important to get somebody into your district attorney's office who believes in alternative sentencing, who believes in diverting people from entering the prison system, because once they get there, they're more likely to come back and, and continue the cycle. Absolutely. It's so heartbreaking. And as you're talking, I think about how recently I saw on Facebook, like, look here to see how your representatives voted um, on gun control. So I feel like to make it as easy as possible for people would be great like look here how your local representatives are approaching or dealing with the incarceration issue you know what I mean yeah absolutely you're hired (laughs) (laughs) but um I also see that you worked um for three years representing death row inmates so can you tell us about that work and how that has impacted you in your life yeah. Um, so it's it's funny. I actually started to work on death penalty issues, and I should probably just share uh, a little bit about my personal story. I, you know, grew up here in Mill Valley. Um, I was really passionate about recycling and, and air and water quality. Um, I cared deeply about the environment, and I still do. But um, I moved to Georgia and ended up working on the clean air, clean water campaign, and. And bartending as well, and I uh, I met my now former husband um, and fell in love. And unfortunately, because of his uh, a drug d- addiction that he developed, um, he ended up being incarcerated and, and serving three and a half years in Georgia. Uh, this was right after we'd had um, my older daughter, and uh, you know it just tore our, our family apart. I saw firsthand how corrupt the system was. How they um, how they broke our family by 
uh, charging excessive amounts for phone calls. I think it was $21 for a 15-minute phone call. Uh Um, The restrictions they put on visitation and whether or not I could bring the baby in or what hours I could come up there. Um, the restrictions on even basic things like writing letters. Uh, There was an entire month when he was in the diagnostic facility that we couldn't communicate at all. Um, You know, and all of this because he had a drug problem and he could have gotten help with rehabilitation, uh, but instead he was incarcerated and never given that treatment that he really needed. Uh, So with that, I decided to go to college and um, then to law school. I felt strongly that I wanted to become a public defender and and do something about the system. So I I got my first job while in college um, at Capital Collateral Regional Council in Florida, where I was uh, basically the equivalent of a paid intern (laughs) working on on capital cases and... um, uh, particularly lethal injection issues, since I had a background in social science statistics. Uh, from there, I decided to go to Santa Clara for law school because they had the death penalty college where I was a research assistant. And then I got hired uh, to do death penalty cases. And I got to say, looking at death penalty cases, uh, you see the worst of the worst of the system. You see the lawyers that um, have, you know, 500 cases and are given a case to represent somebody who can't afford counsel but is facing losing their life. Uh, You see cases where attorneys have zero support and don't understand how to run an investigation or don't understand which experts they need to bring in uh, to help make their case. You see juror misconduct, you see prosecutorial misconduct, judicial misconduct. Um, you know, it's, it's just awful. And unfortunately, the client pays the ultimate price, uh, their life. So it was great work. Um, I really enjoyed everything I was doing. It was a little unsustainable having another small child running around. Um, <laughs> And uh, I also felt very strongly that I wanted to move into policy work to uh, broaden the impact that I could make. Yeah. I mean, I have such respect for the work you're doing. And and like you said, I feel like so many people um, aren't aware. So that's why I was so excited to talk to you and bring um, more light on the kind of work that you're doing. Um, And... I'm curious, do you, what, so obviously I can see what motivated you and that's just that, thanks for sharing that personal story. Do you think you're, are you a spiritual person and does that also influence your work? Uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely am. I think I'm also a very, um, empathetic person, but yes, I'm, I'm Methodist and, uh, it's funny. I attend a church here in Mill Valley that we kind of call our social justice church, (laughs) When not only do we have, uh, you know, a community meal where we bring in the homeless and, and feed them, but we actually sit down with them and enjoy a meal with them and, and talk to them. Um, and I think, you know, definitely my faith informs what I do uh, in that it reminds me everybody is capable of a lot more than their worst moments. And you really just have to give them the opportunity to do better. Absolutely. And you're setting such an amazing example for your girls. Um, well, thank you. What about your early influences, like your family? You mentioned growing up in Ville Valley. How how did you end up to be such a, um empathetic and strong, strong woman? Oh, thank you. Um, 
You know, I'm, I'm lucky I, I had a really good role model. Uh, my mom is an AIDS prevention scientist. We actually moved here when I was five years old to the Bay Area, um, which was shortly after the AIDS epidemic had broken. And I think, um, you know, at the time, she was fresh off her postdoc, and uh, she had me. I was five years old then, and, and shortly thereafter, she had my brother. And, uh, you know, the pay was never great, um, but the work was rewarding, and she was trying to save lives and, and figure out, you know, how this horrible, horrible disease was spreading and, and what she could do to help stop it. Uh, so I grew up with my mom just really um, enforcing that in us. I also, you know, did not come from a very privileged background, though we were definitely given a lot of opportunities, um, especially with education that other people weren't, um, aren't given. So uh, I'm lucky to come from a family that really values education. And, uh, you know, I've got my mom as a great role model to uh, always telling me to stand up for what I believed in and, and to look for, um, look for uh, the ways to help other people who are less fortunate than, than ourselves. Absolutely. She sounds amazing. Um, what, uh, what advice would you give for other women who um, maybe would like to start getting involved in local politics? I'd say be brave. Um, you know, it's, it's not easy to put yourself out there. It's hard. Even now, you know, I, I feel it sometimes. We've got a couple men on the council. We've actually got three women this year, um, which in some ways is nice because I just think women get it done. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's nice having them up there as well. Um, but sometimes it, it can be hard. I mean, I've gotten all sorts of comments. Um, I met a reporter one time who uh I was meeting for him to do an interview about me, and I went to the door to greet him at the location I was meeting him, and he thought I was, you know, there to open the door for him. <laughs> he didn't realize I was the vice mayor. <laughs> um, so you you got to be able to really laugh at yourself and laugh at your situation and, and not take yourself too seriously, too. And you also have to be able to... Um, acknowledge your mistakes and learn from them and move forward um, because we all make mistakes and, and if you're too busy striving to be perfect you're never going to put yourself out there it's it's better just to put yourself out there and do the best you can and if you make a mistake learn from it laugh it off and move forward absolutely and what about I mean you're working on some really heavy and um, heartbreaking issues how do you uh, stay inspired um, you know, given the kind of work that you're doing with Cut 50? Well, I, I think uh, criminal justice is the area that uh, I, I can say for sure. You can't walk away. Um, you know, there's people in cages. Hmm. Uh, there's children whose parent is unnecessarily not in the home, and they're growing up, uh, you know, watching the remaining parent struggle to provide food, to provide, um, you know, housing, uh, there's people who are suffering from mental illness, who are suffering from uh, drug addiction, and who need help. And currently, we're just throwing them in boxes and, and in cages and telling them they're not worth anything, and they're not worth our support, and they're not worth trying to become better. So when you sit down and, and you think about the people um, who you're affecting and who you're fighting for, many of whom write to us in our office, um, a couple of 
who the folks I, I work with were previously incarcerated themselves. And of course, I still t- stay in touch with former clients. Um, it's it's impossible to walk away. So before we before we end, is there anything else you want to share about the work you're doing or how other people can get involved? Yeah, no, I would just encourage people uh, to to go to the website to sign up. We've got a lot going on. Uh, one of the um, big projects that we're going to be launching here shortly is around uh, empathy and, and really deals with telling stories of those who are impacted. So, um, you know, if you sign up for our Day of Empathy, uh, we're going to be going into state legislators' offices with individuals who were formerly incarcerated uh, with our new virtual reality experiences that uh, show what it's like to be a juvenile in an adult facility, what it's like to be in solitary confinement, what it's like to be a child watching your family uh, be ripped apart by a prison visit. Um, you know, we're going to be sharing those with state legislators. We're going to be asking them to please take action to help end mass incarceration. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to link to all the everything you mentioned and hopefully get more people aware of this amazing organization. It's great that you have Alicia Keys. I feel like we need uh, just so much more um, visibility and attention to everything that you just talked about during our call. Yeah, no, she's, she's been phenomenal. In fact, uh, we can credit her uh, with her calling on, we did a joint campaign calling on Paul Ryan to set a vote for important legislation in the House, and um, she sent him a public Valentine's Day message, uh, which you can find on the web, telling him that he needed to get his act together and schedule the vote. And sure enough, two days later on Fox, when they asked him about it, he said he was going to do just that. I love that. And and how you are bipartisan, because um, are there that many organizations that have the same type of operating process? You know, when we stepped out in this space, there really wasn't a lot of uh, bipartisan work going on, and um, we got some pushback. You know, it's it wasn't easy to go back to my team and say, hey, guys, um, I know you're all good Democrats, but we're going to start taking some money from the Koch brothers. Hmm. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the way I, I said it to them, and I, I maintain, when it was my husband who was behind bars... Um, and my child who was growing up without their father at home, I didn't care if it was a Republican who brought my husband home. I didn't care if it was a Democrat who brought him home. I just wanted him to come home. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so, so much for spending time with us today and sharing all this. Um, learned so much already just talking to you today. Thank you, Paulina. And thank you so much for for inviting me on and, and for taking the time to learn about this important issue. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, we will have detailed show notes with links to everything we talked about at IWantHerJob.com. If you have ideas for future guests or topics, you can send us an email to podcast and IWantHerJob.com. And we would love if you could leave us a review on iTunes so others can find the show. And you can sign up for our newsletter at iwanterjob.com for updates. Until next time.